This has been such a remarkable and interesting morning in the heart of London. All of the previous panels to us have raised some very interesting topics and very live issues affecting the shipping world nowadays. And we will cover some additional topics um, with my esteemed panelists. I'm very honored today to have representatives from the mainstream banking, uh, from DNB, Citibank, ABN AMRO, from the private banking, Berenberg, and also from Neptune Maritime Leasing here. And we hope to have a few minutes towards the end with the opportunity um, for some questions in the session. And um, hopefully the audience will engage um, in this panel as well. Um, at the moment, we have entered a very new era of ship finance and trade asset finance globally. And against the backdrop of the Russia-Ukraine conflict, the main drivers of investments really are the inflation rates and the interest rates. Um, we cannot escape from them. It has affected us in the um, commercial life. It's affected us in our personal lives. And therefore, they are very live topics and very hot topics. Um, my esteemed panelists here today will provide us with the economy and also the insights from the industry to help us understand better how shipping is faring. But most importantly, I'm hoping that towards the end of it, we will come out with the same mantra, which is the financiers are here and the ship owners and the charters and the traders are there. And they will continue to be excellent partners in these very difficult and turmoil times. The tail end of quarter 2022 and the first quarter of 2023 have seen a remarkably lower level of investments. Generally, that's globally. The LSE has reported some of the lowest levels of the IPOs that we have seen for quite a while. And starting with Christo, um, would you say that the market uncertainty and the companies being hit with increased costs across the board for various reasons, not just associated to the conflict, um, but the economy globally, have they resulted in an overall reduction of investment in the shipping center? Or is shipping really continuing to ride the post-COVID high? Thank you. Um, can we hear it? Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure we're, we're in a position to comment on the LFC in particular, but we have seen generally lower activity in, in the capital markets. Partly it's on the back of pretty high activity and, and now that's gone into certain sectors and now there's reduced liquidity in, in, in the capital markets. Um, there's, there's definitely recessionary fears uh, that are affecting sentiment um, and that's affecting the supply side of capital. Um, but I would also comment on, on the demand for capital uh, from, from ship owners uh, in particular, and, and in particular the kind of the established ship owners, what we see is that <clears throat> NAVs are very high today. Um, most companies are trading at a, at a significant discount to, to, to NAVs, and most established ship owners are sitting on a lot of liquidity because they've, they've been through a couple of years of very favorable markets. Um, so all that combined provides very little incentive for companies to go and raise equity at, at a very deep discount. Um, we've seen companies would rather use cash on their books or um, even re-lever assets in certain cases if, if, they, need, um, if they need liquidity for, for new investments. Um, 
And when it comes to new investments, there's also been a limited amount of that because uh, asset values are high. Uh, in most cases, uh, maybe they don't, the earnings today do not justify these levels. And what we've seen is that actually owners, uh, private equity investors are sellers today, have been sellers rather than buyers. We've seen a few people taking the opportunity to exit and monetize their investments. Um, uh, so, so all that is, is also kind of affecting the, the level of capital markets activity. Um, having said that, we do expect to see a number of transactions hitting the market in, in Q4, um, and it will be an interesting test for, for how much investor demand there is there. That's both on the fixed income and, 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 and on the equity side. Um, so that'll be an interesting test. We, we feel that um, uh, offerings that have a nexus to energy, energy security, energy transition will, will drive more interest, as well as offerings that offer very strong uh, dividend payouts. Thank you. And Vasilios, I mean, Christos raised this very interesting point. The recession fears are always looming around. Everyone talks about it. No one wants to claim it. No one wants to say that it will happen. We hope it don't. I mean, everyone wants to avoid the 2008 crisis. But what would you say is the um, insight from Citibank? You can hear me. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, as of today at least, all the capital markets are you know, uh, wide open. Now, of course, there is an increased cost as a result of on the debt side of things as a result of higher interest rates. But ultimately, I think the shipping industry it finds itself, and I echo what Krista said, that most of the corporates are in a very strong financial position, capital structure-wise, and therefore they have options in direct contradiction to other, to other times uh, where maybe the, uh, the options that they had were significantly more limited. So we find ourselves in a situation which, at least when I look at uh, the state of the industry, most of the segments are performing extremely strongly, uh, probably with the exception of dry bulk, but even there, you know, it depends on how your capital structure is and what your break-even is. Uh, you have access, if you want it, on the debt capital markets. There is access on the equity capital markets. And yes, there haven't been many offerings for the reasons that Krista mentioned, which is if you're, if you're going to be issuing either equity, for example, at the steep discount, with you're already at a discount to where your asset prices or your NAV or however you want to value the, the company that you, the you own or you manage, then why do it when you do have substantial cash balances and, and you know, it's a question of from your investors, do you distribute that cash or do you use it in, in whichever way? We have seen A, some investments, B, significant uh, deleveraging. So I think if I was, when I look at this, uh, I see all options open. I think also bank capital and alternative leasing, I'm sure Harry will speak about that, is available and therefore, I do sincerely believe that it's a, a, it's a moment in time where, yes, you hear a lot of negative noise, let's call it, but at the same point in time, once you dig in a bit deeper, I see significant opportunity and also the uh, financial capability of uh, many of the uh, players uh, involved in this space to 
take advantage of it. So uh, cautiously optimistic, I would say. Do you share the same view, Aramco, being cautiously optimistic? There is a lot of cash from the owners, we know that. There is a lot of movement in the market, but perhaps there is a bit of an inflation in the prices and how that have affected the portfolios within yeah. ABN AMRO. I'm an optimist by nature, so um, I definitely always see, uh, see uh, the, the bright light. But um, in terms of um, uh, good cash balances um, on, on the balance sheet and, let's say, investments uh, that are required with very high asset values, I think if you link it to earlier discussions, a part of those investments, as we see some ship owners uh, starting to look at, can also be in the infrastructure that's required for all those alternative fuels. So instead of just keeping the cash for the next uh, new build um, and uh, indecisive about which, future, which fuel will be the future fuel, um, there's also a consideration to utilize, let's say, uh, alternative investments into related infrastructure. So we see some diversification in investments from ship owners that traditionally would only invest in vessels in order to allow for this infrastructure uh, to, uh, to develop. Absolutely, and I, I agree with Bramka because change is coming. And even though one of my esteemed panelists said yes, um, earlier in the coffee break, shipping industry does get a very bad rap, um, but actually ship owners are doing a lot in the industry. And they are trying to be out there and to be avant-garde when it comes to the technology and the developments and upgrading of the ships and also the retrofitting projects. And most of the ship owners will be spending probably all of their life, 24-7, around the clock, hooked up to their phone, and they want their ships to perform, they want their ships to be earning money, and they want to be able to look after their crew. They're not in there only for the one year or two years. They want to be there for the fleet. They want to be there for the 25 years. They want to have legacy, because these are the majority of them. Family-run businesses, yes, they are sitting on cash, as you say, but they are using that cash to upgrade their fleet. Um, Philip, what would you say is the feeling within Berenberg? You do have a, lot, a large portfolio, I believe 200 Greek businesses, the majority of them family owned. Yeah, um, that's true. I think uh, uh, we are covering more the private market side, but I can confirm my colleagues. Um, as you might know or not know, we run roughly 5,000 accounts for shipping clients only, and the aggregated view on the, those accounts is that the liquidity on these accounts peaked in last September. Whereas since then, you would expect uh, that this money is reinvested. We haven't seen that uh, massively so far. We have not seen dividend out, and we have not seen major investments. So I think the status is that everyone is carefully weighing its options uh, still, and uh, these private owners have to make decisions for assets which should last another 20, 25 years. So they are careful about that, and that brings the order book to a fundamentally positive uh, view. And as, as you said, uh, Vasilis, uh, that there are options, yeah. and the, the debt market is relatively open for ship owners, but I would not underestimate that um, this industry uh, will need different kind of uh, capital right now. Whereas it was opportunistic capital in the last 10 years probably, 
this capital will move to other areas. Let's call it commercial real estate or other things that might uh, promise more, uh, more of a return for now. So the marketing for shipping uh, in, in uh, institutional capital markets will be tough. And the green side of things is one, uh, and the infrastructure thing is another to play, but it needs a lot of education for those kind of investors. Uh, we do this on a regular basis if we fundraise for our ship financing activities, but believe me, this is not an easy play to, uh, to explain that uh, shipping might become more industrial or might be more, uh, let's say, infrastructure orientated today. It's still not. And that is uh, why I think there is a challenge ahead of us. Absolutely. And I mean, Harris, you are definitely closer to the operational side on the ground when it comes to the shipping. And from your experience within Neptune Maritime Leasing, can you provide us a market insight at your end, please? Um, it's a pleasure to be included in this panel. We've graduated from alternative lending to mainstream lending, it seems. So, <laughs> so that, that's very, very uh, positive news for us. So thank you, Capital Forum, for providing this um, platform. But joking aside, um, we at Neptune Leasing, you know, we're a new company, about two years old, but uh, we worked first very, uh, very hard on establishing what Philip talked about, a very robust capital base, because Philip said it's kind of difficult to do the capital raise. We've been very successful in raising capital um, and, and from people that are very close to the industry. Uh, in fact, from the Lachko family office in uh, Costa Mare, uh, amongst others, these are the two largest shareholders that we have, or investors. And it actually solved one more uh, issue, which was that we didn't have really to explain uh, what, what an Aframax is uh, uh, versus other types of um, uh, ships. So that actually created a very plain uh, sailing uh, for us since uh, we've managed to do this. Uh, ever since, uh, I would concur with uh, Christo as well, we've seen a, a very uh, significant reduction in capital markets activities. This is not only related to shipping, this is across the board, and it's simply a result of uh, moving from high growth uh, sectors back to uh, you know, normal sectors that have uh, cash flow. Shipping happens to be one of them, and in fact, it was sort of a Goldilocks scenario in the last two years because as a result of the post-COVID uh, growth and as a result of the uh, very, very unfortunate, tragic uh, war that we're experiencing in Ukraine, but all, uh, other geopolitical issues as well, uh, and because shipping is uh, somehow always benefiting from disruptions, we've seen a couple of years of very positive earnings growth for most shipping companies, most sectors. Um, however, this is not always necessarily translated uh, to, um, to capital markets interest. I mean, yes, it has been for the container business, obviously, and maybe for the tanker business, but if you see the multiple at which shipping companies are trading, they're all trading at a discount to NAV. Whereas, uh, in fact, out of the list of the largest shipping companies and liner companies, the ones that do uh, attract a premium are always the ones that have something more to offer, and these are the liner services. So the, the logistics part of it and the digitalization of, of the services that somebody's offering probably has, resonates with investors one, one way or the other. So I think, uh, you know, going forward, uh, investors definitely because of the interest rate environment uh, that we're in, we'll be looking for, for, for cash flows. Um, it, is, uh, it is very clear that money will uh, go there. This is why 
there's a very strong interest for alternative credit as well. In fact, yesterday I was reading in the papers that KKR, I think, is partnering up with Sokgen, or Brookfield, sorry, Brookfield is partnering up with Sokgen to create an alternative credit fund. And why? Because they, they, they're trying to actually cover uh, a, a demand in the market which is created from the um, retreat of uh, banks from doing what they're there to do, which is lending. And I'm not referring to our friends here because I know they're all very active in uh, doing lending. But generally, uh, it's, it's a very good um, place to be uh, at this moment, having a leasing company servicing the shipping industry and looking at the growth opportunities, either by financing second-hand ships or, in fact, helping uh, the transition of the fleet to a cleaner future. Well, thank you, Harris, because actually that leads me to the next question for the panel. Um, well, thank you very much for joining our panel, by the way, uh, because you would bring a different perspective towards the alternative financing. It's always been viewed as if it's in competition with the mainstream banking. However, I believe that the ship owners are very sophisticated and they are now very large that actually they can look at the alternative financing in conjunction with their mainstream banking because what the bankers are unable to offer to the ship owners or the charters or the operators, then the alternative financiers can fill that gap. Um, what would that be your experience, particularly in light of the massive raises and the hikes we've seen in the interest rates, not only in the Eurozone, but also in the UK? What I see is a convergence in the, in, the, in the cost of capital from different uh, capital uh, liquidity pockets. And, and so the difference between, you know, borrowing money from a bank, borrowing money from an alternative credit provider or a leasing company, or even, you know, if you look at the equity yields, et cetera, uh, is, is getting smaller. So in fact, I think that creates a level playing field for alternative credit. And, and of course for leasing, which is why we see a very significant and very active uh, market here uh, in front of us. So I, I consider the, uh, the cost of capital increase, of course, overall, uh, as a challenge to most companies, including shipping companies, given you know, potentially uh, deteriorating rate environment that we see now in dry bulk, for example. But, uh, but generally, it does uh, give the opportunity to uh, creditors and alternative creditors to, uh, to play uh, closer to each other. And as you said, uh, Diana, I think we, we look at the relationship between leasing and banking as totally symbiotic because we actually work very actively with our banking group to be able to actually offer our services to our clients. Fantastic. And I mean, sorry, Remka, you wanted to? Yeah, sorry. Can, can I add one more alternative credit into the mix that hasn't been discussed yet and where we are also uh, pretty active, and that's the private placement market. Uh, institutional investors um, are uh, interested in, in shipping markets as long as there's a strong off-taker in place. And uh, we are currently structuring deals um, that provide a leverage above 100% uh, over the asset uh, because those investors don't look at the value of the asset class, they look at uh, the value of the contract, uh, the off-taker contract and the strength. So it's not a very big market, it's uh, let's say a niche market, but uh, for certain type of deals um, I, I, I wouldn't rule out the private placement market either. And for the um, institutional investors uh, looking for a certain fixed yield, 
uh, it can work very well for contracts over seven years. So it's, I think, in addition to the traditional bank debt, DC market, uh, the private placement market is also a relevant one to tap. Well, that's very interesting. I have not personally come across those, but considering the value of the contracts and the chartering rates that are skyrocketing at, at the moment, I think that would be quite attractive, so, particularly for those investors that are probably more risk takers, so they're on the higher risk, higher return, and they are using the market instability or the massive fluctuations that are happening at the moment to make a big return on their it's investment. It's not necessarily higher risk because the deal is sized on the strength of the off-taker. So right. from their perspective, it's not necessarily higher uh, risk, risk uh, transaction. Thank you. Thank you. And Philip, from, from your perspective on the private banking side, on the alternative financing, I mean, you operate as a bank, but obviously you are backed with investors and then for every project, you might be bringing in new investors. Yeah, I think uh, private banking is maybe the wrong word here, but uh, if we talk about chip finance. Um, um, but um, to what Harris says, I can, can underline, I think it's a healthy coexistence of, of um, traditional asset-based financing, what, what we offer through our uh, senior debt financing with, with institutional capital in the background. And, and your offering, which might be a bit more flexible sometimes, uh, offers speed in execution, which a regulated bank cannot offer due to some, some regulatory burdens. Um, it can be or will be for sure older tonnage or tonnage which is uh, dedicated to the transport of fossil fuels. So taxonomy plays a role uh, and will play a role. So I think there is room for alternatives. At the same time, there is room for traditional banks, um, uh, be it the bigger banks maybe really concentrating on, on new building um, and whereas traditional banks might uh, then uh, leverage the, the existing fleets which have been deleveraged now and which need new leverage if uh, there's capital need for new buildings. So I think there is a good mix of options again, um, uh, but it comes at a price. And uh, this is maybe the last comment on that. Uh, there was a kind of sentiment that the alternatives might take over uh, from the traditional banks due to a kind of the interest rise and attractive pricing. Yes, that's the case, but that's for now, because there is capital which has been raised two years ago and still cheap, um, but which will change uh, if new fundraising comes into the play, because then obviously these costs, these funding costs will also go up. Uh, whereas for the banks, traditional banks, I don't see them compromising on risk. I rather would say there, there's a tendency now to compromise on price. Uh, this is the, the better option, and we see this already in the market, whereas on the, uh, on the risk side, we don't see it too much. So there is, uh, there is this uh, kind of healthy competition, but healthy co coexistence at the same time. Well, that's absolutely true, and the symbiotic coexistence of the alternative financing and the bank financing are really the two main pillars to help any ship owner going from a very small operator to a large operator and a big player in, in the market, which then brings me on to the next question, which is obviously the compliance risks elements. Um, they are getting tighter and tighter um, from the owner's perspective, but they need to be on a higher bar from the lender's perspective. And this is for alternative financing and bank financing aside. Um, how are the banks, um, Christo, 
to you dealing with the compliance risk and particularly with the elements of um, some dark shipping, for example, being thrown every so often in trade winds and financial times is getting very difficult. Um, how is the banking sector coping? I mean, look, I, I, to give you an example, when I joined DNB, arguably many years ago now, but, but we had two people in compliance in London, right? Now we have over 30. And when I say compliance, it's, you know, we're, we're, it, it, there's a variety of functions there. But even before the war, there, there's been a significant ramp up in, in efforts, and, and that's because of the, the changing regulatory environment that, that's, that's kind of, you know, forced banks to, to invest a lot more in that, in that area. Um, and it's investing in people, investing in, in upskilling. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a generally very different approach, uh, involvement from all parts within the bank in, in that KYC and, and, and compliance assessment. Um, in particular, when, when, when we look at, you know, when we talk about dark shipping and, and, and the, the Russian trade, et cetera, there, there's obviously a lot more focus from, from our side and from all other banks, I'm sure, I'm sure on that. We do um, the vessel tracking as part of our regular kind of KYC reviews. Um, we do live transaction monitoring to, to flag any, any suspicious, unusual transactions. Uh, we've asked clients to, um, to do um, attestations for, you know, whether, whether they do any, any Russian business. Some, some, some people do, most people don't. Uh, but but in, in any case, we, we have to assess this on a case-by-case -case and holistic basis. So the, the, there's a lot more effort these days on, on that, for sure, even, even, even before the war, but, but even more so afterwards. Absolutely. I mean, it's a good housekeeping exercise for everyone, and it's to protect the bank as much as to protect the owners as well, because with some of the very large accounts, for example, with the trading, with the cash flow and some of the large transactions going in and out, there is always an element of risk that an undesirable one could slip through, through the net on that. Um, from Berenberg's perspective, um, I would have thought that probably the compliance risks and the elements are just as risky and being assessed on the same levels. I can uh, confirm what uh, um, Christos just said. Um, I think the, the, the way we've, we see it is that it has been a, a phase of uncertainty last year, but I must say that I think the industry all over uh, did very well so far. It is a very complex task for everyone, not only for the banks, but all the, for all of you, all the owners, and we feel and see a, a, an intensive exchange between lawyers, P&I clubs, banks these days, and uh, we always try also to, to foster this uh, as I think it's helpful to exchange uh, experience, and uh, many, of, many ship owners have their professional place, uh, um, processes in place these days, have ramped up their compliance department internally, we see that, so um, there is a good way to cope with this in a very complex uh, environment and uh, the, the most important part is to be proactive and transparent uh, in, in, in both directions. From the bank communicating what is our policy but at the same time also from your side, the owner side, to proactively address the bank if there is a critical transaction to be made. And I think this is, this is the key experience uh, I can share here with you. Fantastic, thank you. And I mean, Harris, from my experience with dealing with Neptune Maritime leasing for all this time through our office here in the Piraeus office, um, even though you're on the alternative financing side, you would apply the same rigid 
compliance requirements or risk requirements in every transaction? Well, essentially, yes. In fact, we, you know, we have to, uh, to protect ourselves, protect our clients, but also because we have to apply standards that the banks that we work with apply as well. So it's, I said it's symbiotic. It goes th th you know, throughout the, the cycle of uh, money, not just the drawdown, but also the compliance that's associated with it. Absolutely. So absolutely, yes. And Aramco from Avian's um, Armour perspective, one of the leading banks as well in, in the shipping, <coughs> you run worldwide financing, so therefore the same procedures would be just as rigid in place and no forgiveness, so to speak. Yes, so... Uh, similar to what uh, the situation that has just been described, it, it gets uh, uh, more attention and uh, labour intensive. But at the same time, an interesting element is that uh, the, um, the data also becomes more transparent and available. So vessel uh, screening or vessel tracking was already mentioned. Um, banks get services offered that allow them uh, real time uh, to track uh, what's happening in their portfolio. And uh, a lot of related data analysis around it uh, gives us very good insight in, in what's going on. So, I think um, the, the, the data-driven element and the transparency and uh, what's available in the market uh, helps us a lot with those assessments. Fantastic, yeah. Vasilios, from um, the experience of Phil Dickinson dealing with Citibank, well, myself personally as well, and we've seen that you really do run a tight ship, even though you've got the international transactions, the London office, the New York office, they are really working very closely together when it comes to compliance all the way up to the last moment uh, before any ship delivery taking place or mortgage discharges for, for that fact. Yeah, this is, um, it's non-negotiable. It's, it's non-negotiable and there is no element of leeway or, you know, relaxation or, or, or in any sort of way something that you know, if, if tomorrow, you know, the whole of the shipping team were to, be, to resign, it's irrelevant. Um, compliance with sanctions, for example, to pass through something that we feel or a client wants to ask, compliance with sanctions and in general, being, you know, uh, for, for our clients to be doing and to be uh, operating in a way that uh, is acceptable uh, to our regulators and to what, to the standards that we want them to, it's uh, extremely important and, and non-negotiable. I mean, and uh, as far as monitoring, it's monitoring every element of it from, you know, effectively inception to uh, execution and then uh, throughout uh, the tenor of the corresponding financing. At the same point in time, because as a bank, we are not asset financiers, we are corporate financiers, and therefore uh, we uh, continue dialogue with our clients to which we extend capital, and in many occasions significant capital to assist them. Um, it is monitoring not only what a specific vessel that we finance does, but the whole of their operations. So I think I echo what each and every person on this panel has said, but ultimately it's not only the vessel, it's about what every vessel on the fleet does, and in general the ethos and the scope of the operations of, uh, of the corresponding client. And I have to say that, you know, 
the, the, all players in this space have the means to be able to track and monitor and, and therefore what Philip said with regards to transparency, it's extremely important and ultimately, you know, both from every uh, aspect, we are flagging what we expect, but also uh, from our clients uh, uh, reciprocating with regards to openness and, of course, willingness to, to comply. Absolutely, and Hilde Concern works very closely with all of the major banks and also the alternative financiers to provide additional support externally because one can only imagine how overwhelmed the compliance and the risk teams would be in-house with a number of the transactions uh, that would be ongoing on a regular basis. Um, it wouldn't be a banking or alternative financing panel if we didn't talk about the ESG compliance. And um, we are very honored today to be um, having two of the main leading Poseidon principal founders, DNB and ABN AMRO, um, here today on our panel. And um, it has become more and more prominent that ESG compliance is sitting at the forefront, um, not only the lenders, but also the um, ship owners and the traders alike because part of it is also being driven not only by the lenders, but also the investors, the various investors sitting within the uh, project finance. Um, today, actually, we have Anastasia from ABN AMRO also sitting in the panel, and she was quoted in the December 2022 um, Poseidon Principle report to say that ABN AMRO is setting a new climate ambition to achieve the net zero across the portfolios by 2050 or sooner, in line with the plus 1.5 degree target outlined not only in the Paris Climate Agreement, but also the Dutch Climate Commitment for Financial Services. And for the shipping sector, I believe that that applies across all of the financiers sitting here in the panel, and especially with the panel just before us talking about the decarbonization and the alternative fuel. Um, it becomes more and more interesting that the lenders not only will want to be uh, supporting these new ship owners or the existing owners to go into the greener shipping element of it. As mentioned earlier, shipping does get a really bad rap in the industry, but they are trying. It's just that the change is probably not as much evident as it might be in some of the faster moving sectors. Um, starting with Remco, um, from ABN AMRA's perspective, um, what, do you wonder whether there will be a clear show of favoritism against some of the clients, against some of the other clients applying for lending within ABN AMRA itself? They're looking for greener shipping projects. Yeah, so I, I think it's important to, um, to not only focus on alternative fuels uh, whenever that becomes a big market, um, but also focus on uh, the ability of existing vessels uh, through, re through retrofits uh, to meet uh, targets. Um, so, just to describe uh, a, a process once a deal com comes in, um, the first committee uh, that we will face when we have a deal is a capital allocation committee um, looking for, let's say, get approval for commit capital to a certain transaction on certain return metrics. This committee now also evaluates the carbon allocation in the deal. And what uh, visually happens in the committee is that they will be looking at a graph that shows the, the Poseidon trajectory or IMO trajectory. Then uh, the portfolio average is plotted on this graph. 
and uh, the deal that is proposed is plotted on this graph. So you can see the impact, whether it's accretive for our portfolio from a uh, emission perspective or not. If uh, the deal uh, uh, increases, let's say, the emission profile in our portfolio, we're, we might be still very keen to do it because this means that we have an owner or a transaction that needs to meet the climate targets and we can assist him with that through supporting, for example, the finance of retrofit investment. So I, I wouldn't rule out uh, the existing fleet. The existing fleet and the retrofit program is key and a necessity in order to get through this energy transition. And the alternative fuels that uh, were discussed already this morning, they will come, but we don't know when and we don't know which kind of uh, uh, fuels will come out as, uh, as winners. So let's say a conservative approach towards alternative fuels, but keen to engage, but especially the existing fleet and the ability to reduce emissions in those fleets is also a key, uh, key element for us. So it's kind of two groups of assets, the new builds and uh, the, the new technologies and the existing vessels that we, uh, that we target. Fantastic, so the retrofit projects, even though they would cost time and money to the owners and to the banks, at least the owners know that there is the option, yeah. that the financiers will be there to back them up. And Vasilios, from Citibank's perspective, as a corporate financier, you'd be lending to the whole group and that would be a lot more appetite. Uh, perhaps for, for, for this type of ESG compliance to help existing clients to continue maintain those levels and be at the forefront of the greener shipping. Absolutely. I, I think uh, so. so uh, I think with regards to Poseidon principles, which uh, my chairman, Michael Parker, uh, chairs and was keen in, in establishing, it, people need to look at it in, in a very specific way. We are what we measure. Right, and uh, each and every bank here, including uh, Harry, maybe at, at some point in time, has uh, specific requirements and obligations that we have signed up for. So whether that's Poseidon principles, net zero banking alliance, uh, commitments, et cetera, et cetera. And ultimately, without Poseidon principles, I strongly believe, and I've, I say it every time uh, someone asks me, ultimately I think that many of the shipping portfolios that continue to exist and be very active wouldn't have been as such uh, if we weren't able to uh, effectively clearly indicate that we know what we're doing, we're, we're trying whatever we can with whatever we have. We are measuring and we do have a trajectory which is consistent with the IMO, ultimately. Because yes. that's what... Uh, is being tracked at the moment. Now, so as and when IMO, and maybe that's you know, clearly uh, MEPC, AT, and all of that uh, shifts, then of course things will be tighter, and ultimately uh, the uh, net zero banking alliance commitments of all the banks uh, that have signed up there, and that's the, the vast majority, it could be uh, significantly sharper in terms of uh, requirements. But at the same point in time, you know, I do not believe that in any way it's the, the requirements that the banks have versus ultimately what the clients of the owners uh, and everyone that is involved in this industry will be faced as a result of scope three uh, emissions. I think there is a, a full alignment that is coming and it's coming relatively shortly. And therefore, uh, you, you have the element of being able to monitor, being able to measure, 
And on the back of that, yes, have significant capacity for projects that assist the portfolio down that tra uh, trajectory. But it is being monitored, it is being assessed, and it's a key uh, component of, uh, let's say, the analysis. That being said, one more thing to, to put out there, which I think is going to come, it's significantly more difficult to analyze, but ultimately I think well to wake is coming, and therefore I, you know, it's a debate that one needs to have, what is it better to uh, finance a new building or finance a, uh, assist the, the retrofitting and, uh, uh, of a um, second-hand vessel taking into consideration because it is going to come the ultimate emissions of the building process. Absolutely, and I mean, that remains to be seen because even the shipyard and the shipbuilding um, aspect of the industry has changed massively since the Russian-Ukrainian war, some of the Far Eastern shipyards are probably not as active, but we have seen an increase, uh, particularly in the Dutch and the German market for the shipbuilding. Um, and we all know that, of course, the Eurozone is very hot on the um, CO2 emissions and measuring those uh, quite tightly within the Eurozone, and quite rightly so. And from that perspective, I agree with my esteemed panelists that the banks and the financiers are best placed to put pressure on the industry in a good way in order for them to play a significant role. They cannot man the ships themselves, but surely as the people who hold the purse, they could utilize some kind of pressure on the ship owners to speed up the process, not necessarily to um, neglect it or pull it through the cracks on the priority. And from that perspective, I think Christo, probably DNB, feels just as wrongly about the ESG compliances. Uh, we, we, we definitely do. Um, there's been a lot of good points made both on this panel and also in the previous panel for those who, who had the pleasure of, of seeing that, um, especially regarding when it comes to financing new build assets versus improvements in existing assets and how you can get really significant uh, results when, when, when you work with existing assets and, and, and improve that. Um, and in some cases, they can they can become even more more efficient uh, and less polluting than than the new assets. So so really, I agree first of all with Vasilis when when it comes to well to wake and and not to be drawn into uh, purely focusing on new builds and and on new technologies. Uh, there's a lot that can be achieved with with existing assets. Um, also following the the ABN approach that you know if if you're starting with a vessel that's uh, above the trajectory. That's not necessarily a terrible thing. Um, that you, you, you can then um, work together with, with owners to on a portfolio basis to help uh, drive that change and, 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 and reduce reduce to levels below the trajectory. Um, we're very committed to that. We try not to be prescriptive about it. Uh, we we use Poseidon as a as a as a measuring tool and as a as a way to establish a dialogue with, with clients and, and to drive that change, uh, realizing that everybody's at a different point uh, with regards to their fleet, with regards to uh, their, their um, say, knowledge and, and commitment to that, but, but it's definitely a very useful tool to gauge who is committed to, to, to this issue, and, and, and these are the owners that will ultimately support going forward. Um, we've been very public in the sense that, for example, we, we, we have a target of having 80% of, of new financings um, 
having a sustainability link by by 2025. So so that that's certainly one way that we we use this as a tool to to influence uh, and to drive the the industry, but in a in a pragmatic way, I would say. Thank you to all of my panelists and to um, our audience today. I'm really sorry that we've actually run out of time to be able to take any questions from the audience. However, the panelists are available um, during the breaks here to take any questions or have any one-to-one -one meetings with everyone today. It's quite clear that the markets are obviously very sensitive to the whole um, global and technological change. However, the financiers are here they will always be here and there will be a strengthening partner to all of the ship owners and every other major player in the industry. Thank you.